for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Well, it's, um, we, over the next few weeks, we're going to be we're looking at, at praying in, in, in different seasons. And, um, and we're, you know, for some of us this week, it's been a tough, it's been a really tough week for us, particularly with, 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 with Roy's passing to go and be with the Lord, um, but also I'm quite aware as well, I mean, I, we've had it in our household this week, sickness and bugs and all sorts, and, and life is difficult sometimes, isn't it? You know, um, we, we go through different seasons, we go through different seasons, sometimes life is hard, and those seasons are a lot like winter, things are really difficult, they're, they're tough, they can be tough spiritually, for us maybe it's difficult for us spiritually, but also it can be tough materially as well, maybe you can have a winter season, we can, where things just seem tough, it seems hard work. Um, and other times, though, we do feel like things are changing, and we're in a season of hope. And those seasons are a little bit like spring. It's like a, a sort of time of new beginnings. You know, maybe you get a new job, or maybe you just feel like you start to get back on track with God. You feel like your relationship with him is growing and it's developing. And you feel like you're in a season of spring. Other times, uh, you know, we can feel like everything's going right. Everything's going right. And, and, and in those seasons, it's like summer. You know, everything's good, life is on course, you're happy, you're contented, you feel loved, you feel connected and enriched in all that you do. I mean, those seasons are probably a little bit fewer and further between for some of us, but God feels close and the world feels great, a great place to be. And often I find that actual summer makes me feel more like that. I don't know about you, when we're sort of stuck in these kind of short days and, you know, long nights, it does feel a little bit more dreary. And when you get to the actual summer, you start to feel, whoa, I feel a bit happier. Um, but yeah, we all go through different seasons in our lives. And with all of those seasons that we go through, prayer can be either difficult or it can be hard. Prayer can be difficult, it can be hard. And it, it really depends on the season we find ourselves in and how we then approach God. Because sometimes in different seasons, we either run to God's or we run away from him. And it depends on what season we're in and how we approach that season. In, we, in winter seasons, prayer can be really, really difficult. And maybe you found that this week, the things that you might have been going through this week. Maybe you found prayer being difficult. But ironically, actually, for some of us, in winter seasons, prayer is easier. When we face difficult situations, prayer becomes just second nature. It's like the only thing that you can do. You might, for example, be facing disaster in the face. And at those times, prayer is simple. I remember when... Um, uh, Edie was about three months old, and I, I mean, I've been unfortunate to break down on the MT, M25 a few times, but there was one occasion, it was a really hot day, it was probably about, it must have been June, July time, Edie, so Edie was only a few weeks old, um, and, and we broke down on the M25, the, the car had overheated, um, because I'd taken it in for a service, anybody who's interested in mechanics, I'd taken it in for a service, and they hadn't screwed the top of the, the, uh, the, the coolant cap back on, properly and so what happened was all, as, as the car heated up all the water came out there was steam there was smoke going absolutely everywhere and I was in an absolute panic Claire was in the car with me and like if you anybody who's a parent here when you have your first kid you are overprotective about absolutely everything and so it was hot outside we were extremely stressed out and I said to Claire Claire they were just trying let's just try and get to the next junction and as we drove to the next junction, we drove down the hard shoulder, we prayed like absolute billy. I've never prayed like it in my life because we just needed to get there. And it was like, God, would you just get us to the next junction? We need to just get there. Um, please, Lord, the car. We, we, I didn't know what the problem was at the time. I was like, I think it's smoking. I think it's going to blow up. 
but we'll be all right. I'm sure we're going to be all right. And she was like, we're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. And we're praying to God. And we got there. And it was a minor miracle because the car wasn't in a good condition when we did get there. And fortunately, we were able to get Edie out of the car. It was all all right. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But sometimes, you know, in situations like that, and I'm sure you face them, prayer, prayer is easy, isn't it? You go, oh, okay, yeah, I really need God's help with this. I'm just going to pray right now. And, and it's like it's second nature. We, we turn to God. However, I, th- I think most of the time, though, our normal default is to make prayer like a tick list. Yeah, like we, we go to... We go to God um, with a list of things we want or need from him. Like almost like if you go to a counter in a, in a shop and you go, I'll have uh, X, Y and Z please. And you expect it to be handed over to you. And if it's not handed over to you, you get a little bit annoyed. Um, and you can kind of treat God a little bit like that. You know that, that it's a tick list. Well, here's my list. This is what I need from you, God. And I expect it in return. What about... If we're not in a winter season or in a difficult situation, um, in, in times of plenty, when things are going right for us, do we still have that approach? Surely it's easier to pray if we're in a summer season in our lives. Surely it's easier for us to do that. Surely at those times when we're finding life easy, prayer becomes a doddle, right? Because everything's going right. But, but why is it therefore then that sometimes in those seasons, prayer seems almost to be non-existent? Why do we stop praying when things are going well? Um, I know I've done that before. Yeah, surely, m- materially, we're happy. We're in that summer season. But actually, we can find that in those seasons, we actually become spiritually quite cold. Personally, I find that when life is going well, even when things are going the way I want or plan, when I'm in that summer season of life, my prayers still take a tick list approach with God. Even then. It's like, hey, God, thank you for sorting all this out. Now... Here's my secondary list. These are the things I now need instead of the first one. You know, it's, it's so easy to approach God in that way. And I think that probably, in, in some ways, maybe is part of our culture. So we live in a consumer culture. We're driven by it. So if you, you know, from a Western cultural perspective, we all are ingrained with the idea of consumerism. It's the way that we're taught to think with our lives. That new stuff, more stuff, I've said all this before, better jobs, better houses, better looking faces... Better clothes will make us feel successful, happy, contented. So consumer mentality, we consume, therefore we become happy. That's what our society teaches us. And if you look at any internet, any TV, any magazine advert, it will sell you the idea that if you buy certain products, you become happier. I talk to my students about this. As you know, I teach art part-time and we do pop art. And the pop artists were interested in consumerism and they were kind of a bit, they, they were satirical about it. They took the mick out of it. But actually, it's it's because it's in our culture, this idea that actually you buy stuff, it makes you happier, right? And it's not true, but actually, it's the way that our culture is constructed. The danger is, though, that we become consumer Christians as well. We adopt a consumerist mentality to church. We don't just adopt it to our prayer lives, but we also adopt it to other things as well. We can adopt it to worship. We can adopt it to reading the Bible. We can adopt it and to prayer, as I've said already. For example, when... Reflecting on a Sunday morning, how often is your first thought about the quality of the experience of worship that you received when you were there? Do you think about the worship band? Guys, you were really great this morning, by the way. I just encourage you with that. But do you think about the worship band in terms of the quality of the the worship that you received? Do you think about the quality of the preach that you received rather than the words that were sung or what was preached? You know, is your attitude more about the quality of the musicianship than it is about singing to God and telling God how much you love him? 
Or with reading the Bible, do you just find passages in the Bible? Is, is your approach to reading the Bible in your prayer life finding passages in the Bible that make you feel good? Is that how you approach God's? So do you come to him and you go, okay, so I don't feel very good today. I'm going to read a psalm. Oh, yeah, okay, the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah, I feel good now. Off I go. Is that how you approach God's in, in your daily reading of the Bible? Because that's a consumerist mentality. It's not actually allowing the Bible to challenge you. You're just taking what you want from the Bible rather than allowing the Bible to speak to you. You see, the danger is, is we can become consumer Christians. And all of this plays to something I've spoken about before, which is really at the heart of man's problems. It's idolatry. It's idolatry. All of this attitude, that attitude is, is driven by a sense of idolatry. You see, you and I were created to worship God. We were created to worship him. And you're wired to worship. So you worship something, whether it's God or something else, we all worship something. Okay? We all worship something. And if we don't worship him, we end up worshipping something else that looks like it might bring us the things we need to feel loved or contented. And they, those things are idols. They become idols for us. Now, what is an idol? Well, an idol traditionally is an object. It's an object that is worshipped. But for us, it could be an object, it could be a relationship, it could be a club that we're part of, it could be a society that we're part of, it could be a thing that we give special value to, meaning or care to, in the hope that it returns success to us, in the hope that it brings us contentment, or it brings us happiness. And, and, and in that, we worship it. We all have idols. We all have idols, we've all had idols. You see, children can become idols, or lack of children can become an idol for you. Jobs, relationships, lack of relationships can become an idol in a funny way. Money, possessions, they can all be idols. We can place higher priority on any of those things at the expense of other things. And in our lives, we have all fallen prey to idolatry. In ancient cultures, people actually made these idols. They made objects. So you'll read about this in the Old Testament a lot. Um, the, the, The Israelites got themselves caught up in this way of thinking they were too overly caught up with the cultures of those around them. God had to keep reminding them that they were different, that they were set apart. But they kept making themselves idols. So Moses goes up, doesn't he, on the, the mountain, and he's making the stone tablets because God's speaking to him, and he's writing down the Ten Commandments, and he comes down and he finds them making a golden calf at the bottom of the hill. He finds them making an idol. It's like actually they, they, they couldn't help but do it because they felt that actually if they made these idols in some way that they would make them successful. And they had idols for all sorts of things. In old cultures, they had idols for fertility, idols for uh, fertile land, for um, getting crops, idols for success in battle. Time and time again, however, God commands them, don't turn to idols. Don't do it. Don't make metal gods for yourselves. I am the Lord your God. I'm the Lord your God. Don't, Don't do that. Worship me. Don't make an idol. Worship me. You see, the thing about... This is the the worst idol, the worst of all idols that we can have. The very idol at the root of all all of man's problems isn't a thing, but it's actually ourselves. We become self-idols. We uh, get engaged in self-idolatry. And that, to me, is the, the, the very nature, the very heart of all sin is drawn out of idolatry. Adam and Eve's sin wasn't just taking fruit. It was, it was self-idolatry. You know, they, they made themselves... They put themselves against God. They wanted to be like him, having a knowledge of good and evil. They put themselves in the place of God. They, they valued themselves more than they should have done. The, the thing about our culture is 
is that sometimes we can have an attitude of making ourselves the centre of our own universe. It's like a me first, I'm going to look out for number one, love myself mentality. And, and as I've said already, advertising companies know that's how we think. They know that's how we think about the world around us, which is why they market the products they do as must-haves, because they know that actually that's how we're wired. But the problem is with even a smidgen of self-idolatry rattling around in our brain somewhere, when we're, we're trying to pray when things are going well, all of a sudden it becomes taxing. Why, why does it become taxing? Well, because the devil's whispering in your ear the whole time. He's saying, hey, look at you. You're doing so well. Well done, you. Good job. You are amazing. Incredible. You know what? Do you really need God at all? Because you're doing so well in your life. Hey, look at the work of your hands, you clever thing, you. Yeah, when we're having those good seasons, it's so easy to listen to the, to the idea that actually, this is, I did all this. I did all this. Yeah, I, I don't know if you remember, um, so Jonathan Edwards, not the, the famous evangelist and preacher, but Jonathan Edwards, the triple jumper, um, he, he was a, a Christian. He was the presenter of Songs of Praise. Um, he was a very famous Christian, and he became an atheist about 10 years ago. And in one interview I read once, he said something along the lines of that. Actually, one of the reasons he became an atheist was, looking back at all the things he did, he realised it wasn't God who had done them, but he had done them all. And therefore, he, he came to this sort of recognition that actually he had done all these things. Um, and so therefore, he realised he didn't need God anymore at all, because he had actually achieved all the things he had in his life, and not God's. He listened to a lie. Now, I'm not saying that if you, don't, if you do well, it's not you doing well. That's not, not what I'm saying. See, God's given us free will, and you're probably doing well in life because you work hard. And that's a good thing. God wants us to work hard. And you have an excellent work ethic. But if the, at the end of each day, or at the end of each successful task in your successful life at the moment, you just feel complacency towards God or ambivalence toward God, maybe you've got a bit of an issue. So why should we pray when life is good? Well, praying when life is good is the realisation that we need to be grateful to God for all that we have. We need to be grateful to God for all that we have. Um, as I said uh, a couple of weeks ago when I spoke, you know, I'm doing the Bible in one year, I've just got through Job. The story of Job is one of a rich, prosperous man going through a summer season in his life. I mean, everything's going well for Job at the start of Job. And he's caught up in a test, like this weird cosmic test between God and his angels and, and the devil comes in and he, and he says, is there anyone? God says, yeah, Job, go and test him. See, if he won't do it. He won't, he won't turn against me. And this, this whole kind of story sort of takes place. And, you, you know, God allows Satan to strip away all of Job's riches, his wealth, his family, even his own health. And he experiences like the worst winter season you've ever seen. The whole half of Job is him having this conversation between his friends about why would God do this to me? Well, why? I'm, I'm a good guy. I've not done anything, not done anything wrong. Um, but in all of it, in all of the stuff, God, Job maintains this amazing attitude that God is still in control. He never once says God's not in control. His whole attitude is drawn out of the idea that God is still sovereign. God is still in control. God is able to do what God wants to do. Job's, Job's question of why, why are you allowing this doesn't actually get answered. But actually what we see is that actually Job keep maintaining this idea that God is in control. That ultimately Job isn't the main character, even in his own story, but that God is. Maybe you don't feel like you're in that summer season today that I've just been speaking about, but you are in a winter one. Perhaps you feel like you're going through a season like Job. Things might be difficult for you. 
you know, we've spoken about this already, but maybe, you know, maybe it's, it's worse than just, 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 you know, the sad news that we've had this week. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've lost a relationship. In these times, you might not want to talk to God. Maybe you feel like God isn't listening. Perhaps you feel like that today. Sometimes that's because we feel like maybe God might have let us down or he's failed us by not answering our prayers or by life going the way we hoped it would go. In seasons like that, it's really easy to feel like David did in Psalm 22. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Sometimes we can feel, not that we are, but we can feel like we're forsaken by God. So totally the opposite of having a summer season. We can feel we're forsaken by God. We can... We're going to be looking at more about that next week. But on that, I would say, if you feel like that at the moment, if you feel like you're facing a, a winter season, read all of Psalm 22. Because what you'll find as you read it, that David starts his lament before God with this kind of thing of, God, um, why have you forsaken me? But by the end of it, by the end of his, his writing, he reminds himself, he reminds himself, and that's the important thing, that God is his strength and that God is in control, and that ultimately God would be victorious. Take this verse, for example. He says, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. And so David reminds himself of who God is. Job kept reminding himself of who, of who God is. And we need to do the same. We need to remind ourselves, whether we're in a summer season or in a winter season, of who God is, of who God is. You see, whatever situation we are in, we need to remind ourselves that God is on the throne. That God is on the throne. We need to recognise that we're not the centre of our own universe. That not everything revolves around us. I'm having to teach my Edie that at the moment. She's four. She thinks that everything revolves around her all the time. And you keep, we keep on to remind Edie, it's not all about you, love. Not everything's about you. We can't just keep getting up when you want to get up. We can't keep doing this because you want to do it. It doesn't all revolve around you. But I think so often we actually end up being the same in our adult lives as well. We just think everything's about us. Everything's about my situation, about what I'm going through. You see, you're not the main character in your, in your story. You're not. God is. God's the main character in all our stories. He's the main character in all our stories. Whether life goes well or whether life goes badly, you can know that he loves you and you can know that he's about a great work, not just in you, but through you as well. You see, he's about a great work that involves you, but it's not about you. It's about the redemption of the creation. It's about actually the world's restoration from the fall. He's about something bigger than just you. But yet in this amazing situation, he calls you his child and he calls you into a relationship with you, with him and he encourages you to partner with him in what he's doing. So you become part of his story. He, he's not part of your story. You're part of his. And it's that heavenward attitude that is so important. We can trust him. We can be grateful to him for what he's given us, whether much or little, and grateful that he has chosen to partner with us. And that trust, that gratefulness to God is both necessary in the best summer season and through the worst winter season. When life is difficult, it's easy to become introspective and self-absorbed. It's easy to kind of get woe is me about everything. But it's important that we develop a prayer life that is built on gratefulness to God. It's built on gratefulness to him. You see, you can be grateful to God for what he's given you. Even if you're in the worst of winter seasons or the best of summer seasons, you can be grateful to him. You can be grateful that the maker of the universe has given you every moment that you have and that actually he's called you into existence. It's like he's drawn you into existence. You were chosen. You know, the chances of actually you, the chances of you as an individual being made are incredibly small. 
you know, I'm not going to get into the dynamics of all that, but actually if you want to look into that in terms of conception, the chance of you turning up is incredible. And God's drawn you into existence. What a great thing to be grateful for today. Now, Psalm 92 is a psalm of worship to God. And um, David writes this psalm as a song of praise. And he says this, verses 1 to 4, he says, It's good. It's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work, and the works of your hands I sing for joy. So why is it good to thank God? Because David, that's what David says, it's good to thank God. It's good to thank him. Why is it good to thank God? Well, in, in thanking him, what we do is we place him back at the centre of our minds, and we place him back at the centre of our universe, and that's really important. It's like a realigning back to how you've been created. When you start thanking God and saying, God, thank you so much for what you've done in my life, whether good or bad, thank you, God, for what you've done in my life. It's like as, as a realigning takes place within you. The, the Westminster Catechism, it's a famous document about, about beliefs in God. And it says this, that the first point of it is this, that the chief end of man. So the question posed to the Westminster Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? So what, what's man's purpose? Why are we here? Why are we alive? It's not 42, um, as, uh, you know, that, what was it, it was the book, I'm forgetting now. But yeah, the, the answer of the meaning of life is not, not the number 42, but it's, it, the meaning of life from the Westminster Catechism is this, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You were made, you were made to worship God and enjoy him. That's why you were made. Your existence, you were drawn into existence to worship God, to worship him. That doesn't mean that you need to sit in your car or at home all day long listening to worship music. But everything you do is an act of worship. Prayer, praise, being with your children, being at work, being with your friends is an act of worship to him. You were made to worship him. You've not been made just to enjoy yourself or enjoy stuff. You see, it... They didn't come up with the conclusion that the chief end of humans is to glorify themselves and enjoy stuff forever. They didn't say that in the Westminster Catechism. They said that actually the chief end of us is to enjoy God forever. It's not about us, but it's about him. You are made to worship. And when you start worshipping him with your heart and your life, you'll find this realigning takes place, whether you're in a good season or a bad season. Now, forgive me for my really, ab- this, is, this is relatively abstract and a bit silly, but do you know you can dry clothes out in a microwave? Do you know this? You can, trust me, because I have, to, have done it before. Um, well, you can, well, basically what happens is you put them in the microwave and it heats them up and it makes the water hot. And then you take it out of the microwave and it sort of steams a bit. And then it's dry, magically. Um, it's something I learned as a student. Um, <laughs> seriously. You can, kind of, you can kind of heat up clothes in a microwave. But, see, microwaves weren't made for doing that. Yeah, they weren't made for doing that. They were made for heating up food. You see, you weren't made for pleasing yourself. That's not why you were made. You weren't made to do that. You were made to worship God. You were made to worship him. In fact, all of creation, which includes you, was made for that reason. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. You were made just like the stars in the sky to worship God. You know, some people question, you know, well, if the universe is as big as it is, surely there's other life in the universe. I would say, well, the universe is as big as it is because it just reflects back God's glory to him. 
It just shows how great and big he is, how wonderful he is, how much he's worth of worship. I don't think that you know, there needs to be life anywhere else. It just says, wow, God's big. Look at him. Look how great he is. Look how amazing he is. When you come to the realisation you're not the main character in your own life, your whole of your life changes. And it leads to gratefulness. And this gratefulness is like oil poured out over you. Elsewhere in, in Psalm 92, David writes, you've poured fresh oil over me. Now, oil was uh, used to anoint kings. It was used to denote someone set apart for God. So, you know, uh, when the queen was coronated, she was anointed with oil. It was a way of, it, it's, it's a setting apart that takes place. But this verse reminds me, in Psalm 92, it reminds me of, of Psalm 23, where David reminds, you know, imagines that he's a sheep. If you read Psalm 23, imagining that David's a sheep, and that God is the good shepherd. It helps you to understand some things. You see, he says, you anoint my head with oil. Did you know that shepherds used to anoint sheep with oil? And the, way that, the reason they did it, they did it as a way of protecting the sheep from flies, from bites, from things that might get at them during the day. That's why they anointed them with oil. It was like, um, you know, when, when people put Vaseline on themselves, sportsmen do it, so that they get protected from it. Or, you know, it, it's a way of prote- it was a way of protecting the animals from being bitten. Gratefulness is like an anointing with oil. It protects us from the lies of the enemy. That we can do it on our own. That we're the centre of the universe. It keeps us recognising that it's all about Jesus. Jesus had the mentality during his earthly ministry. He lived in a total devotion to do the will of the Father. So how can we be grateful then? What what form does this gratefulness take? Well, here's my, here's my challenges to you as we close down our time together today. You see, gratefulness um, in worship is, is one of the, the key things I'd say about this. We can be grateful when we come to God in worship. And uh, one of the things you'll notice we do as a church is we try and have a, a, you know, just look at how we structure our mornings. We try and have a time of worship at the start, at least, where we just think about God and we talk about how good he is. And we exalt him and glorify him and focus on his love for us. The danger, though, in some modern worship music is that sometimes the words can be more about us than they are about God. Have you noticed that? There are some, you know, look, I love worship music. I listen to worship music all the time. But sometimes I'm acutely aware that some of the worship music I'm listening to is really not about God at all. It's about me. Um, And we need to be careful with how we're listening and what we're listening to. You see, we know... That God is exalted to the highest place and rules over the highest of all thrones. But then even then we need to realign ourselves to that mentality, that way of thinking. We need to remind ourselves. When we sing, we need to remind ourselves that he's on the throne. When you pray at home, do you worship too? So when you pray, you know, when you're praying at home, do you put, the, do you put worship music on? I find it so helpful to do that. It just keeps me focused on God. What type of songs do you listen to? Are all your songs introspective? They all about really about me and you. I mean, Mike Pillar actually said Jesus, Jesus is my girlfriend type songs. Yeah, he sort of made it kind of. He, he talks about kind of secular pop music and how worship music can be a little bit like that. You know, is that the kind of worship music you're listening to, or is it glorifying God? Because in doing that, it draws you back to Him. Secondly, gratefulness in prayer. Obviously, this is the, the main theme today. Richard spoke last week on the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus taught us to pray, notice he didn't start with he didn't start with this. Give us today our daily bread, did he? He didn't start with that at all. But instead he said, our Father, hallowed be your name. Why? Why Why does he do that? Because what he, he's trying to teach his disciples is that actually when we pray, 
the first thing we should do is remind ourselves of who God is. We need to remind ourselves of who God is. God's on the throne. God is in control. God, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. God, this is all about you. This is about your kingdom. This is about your kingdom advance. That's an act of gratefulness. And it's a realigning of our minds when we come to pray. It's reminding ourselves of who God is, that he's on the throne, that he rules, he reigns, and that we don't. Secondly, how often do you thank God in prayer? Do you spend time just thanking him for what he's done in your life? Do you just sit there sometimes and think, oh, do you know what? God, you've been so good to me. Look at what you've done for me. Do you remind yourself of what he's done in your life that's good? Paul writes uh, to the Colossians, be thankful. Be thankful, he says to them. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs to God. You know, he's actually telling them to be grateful. He's like making a point of it. He's saying, look, be grateful, be thankful. Be excited about what God's done in your life. And whatever you do in word or deed and in everything, in the name of the Lord Jesus, give thanks to God the Father through him. You see, we need to be grateful to God when we come to him and when we're together. And lastly, I, I think this is really important as well. And I was thinking about this this week. There's a gratefulness in giving. You know, giving to God financially is an act of worship to him. It's a, of trust and of, 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 of gratefulness. When we give financially to God, we're acknowledging ultimately that everything that, that we have is from him. We're giving back to the giver. Um, when the Israelites gave their first fruits, they gave part of the harvest to God. They didn't know whether tomorrow there'd be a storm or, or, or a drought to ruin what they'd already given in, to, to ruin the crop that they still had in their field. Their giving was an act of trust, and our attitude to giving needs to be the same. We need to trust God with our finances. But secondly, it's also an act of gratitude to him. You see, we give because we're grateful to the giver. It breaks the power of mammon. So Jesus says you, you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve both of them. And when we give, it breaks that power over us. It breaks that power over us. It breaks our consumerist culture on us. It breaks the self-centred attitude. So if you don't give to God regularly, maybe this is something practical for you out of this morning. Maybe that's something you need to start doing. Maybe you need to start looking at your finances and go, actually, do you know what? I don't actually give to God financially. This is something I should do because actually it might actually start to break some things in you. Um, but actually also it might start to encourage you in him. Um, also, maybe you not look to your finances in a while. Maybe now's the time to start looking at them and go, actually, am I, am I giving? God's blessed me so much, but yet I haven't actually checked my bank balance for the last direct debits. Maybe for you, this is a time where you go, actually, no, no, I need to just go back and check that again. Am I actually giving as much as I could be? Maybe as much as I should be to God. Have a think about that. So I'm going to pray now as we close. And um, Did the band want to come back up, if that's all right? I'm losing my voice again. It's going to bode well for... For the riverside, I'll be like, oh, there's a... sound like Barry White by the time I get there. Yeah, should we stand up? Let's stand up. Let me just pray for you as we finish. God, I, I thank you that you're on the throne today. Lord, I thank you that you made us and the world and the heavens just by your words. Lord, I, I thank you that you're powerful, you're righteous, you're holy. God, I thank you that in every season we face, whether it's a difficult one, like some of us have this week, Jesus, I thank you that in every season we face, Lord Jesus, you've faced them all too. We must remind ourselves, God, Jesus, that you faced every season that we faced. You knew what it was like to, to have success and what it was like to fail. Lord Jesus, I thank you for that. Lord, I thank you that we have a high priest who knows us, a 
high priest who cares for us, who loves us. Jesus, I just thank you that you experienced all we do. Success and failure, trials and joy. Jesus, I thank you that you're our representative today before God. Help us, Lord, no matter what season we're in, whether it's a winter season, a summer season, or somewhere in between, to keep our eyes on you, to set our minds, our gaze, our worship, our prayer life on you. Holy Spirit, I just pray this morning as as I leave here and these guys worship, would you just anoint them with your oil today? An oil of gladness, an oil of gratefulness. Lord, an oil that would protect them against the enemy. Lord, an oil that would protect them against self-idolatry. An oil that would protect them against the lies that they are enough in and of themselves, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God, it's all about you. Thank you, it's about your story. We're so grateful for you that you've chosen to love us, to set your affection on us, to share your story with us. And I just pray for these guys here this week that they might know you more. That whatever they're experiencing, Jesus, help them to see that you are in control, that you're working and willing for your good purpose. Amen.